You know, back in my pool cleaning days, while I was going through school, I met this household slash property manager who worked for this prominent man of significant wealth. Now, I, had, I didn't know him at all or know who he was. <clears throat> I had just gotten the pool on my route. And when I, when I came in, I met this manager, and he asked me if I had heard of this man's name, and I can't even remember who he was now. But he said, well, have you seen his name in the paper lately? And I hadn't. He said, well, he's been in the news lately because he took some state politicians, this was in Texas, state politicians in his private jet to this nice resort and wined and dined them before a major vote was to be taken. Which he had a lot of stake in this major vote. And so he was under investigation, but then he started telling me about, you know, what he did there at the property. And when you drive in, it was this massive property with this enormous house and, and then just this, you know, four-bay garage that I walked through onto this um, deck, not a deck, but onto this patio that was shining, glistening, you know, because of the way it was waxed and, and taken care of. <clears throat> and you get to these shrubberies that were ornate and colorful, different colors, and they kind of wrap around like this. And so you're walking through all of that, uh, everything manicured, you know, to the, to the ultimate. Then you get to this nice swimming pool with nice swimming pool furniture. And then at the end, there's this jacuzzi <clears throat> that had a, a heater. This is the manager talking about all this. A heater big and powerful enough so that when the owner came home, he could drive in, walk over to, that, to his guest house, flip on the heater for the jacuzzi, and by the time he had changed into a swimming suit, that, that whole jacuzzi had heated up. And so he, <clears throat> he took me back to show me the thermostat, and he turned it on, and we just sat, stood there and watched it. And it goes, you know, it was going up a, a degree every time it clicked. And so it would go click, click, click. <laughs> that was a powerful heater. I'd never seen anything heat up that fast, you know, a big uh, amount of water. So as he showed me these things and I saw, you know, maids and, and I don't know, butlers or servants or whoever, you know, walking around. <clears throat> As he showed me all this stuff, I was thinking, I wonder what kind of a resume this guy had to give in order to become the household manager, property manager of this whole estate. And, I, you know, I could tell by the way that he talked to me about this man that this man had very high standards and it could have been a very demanding job. And so I thought his qualifications probably had to be reach a pretty high level. But now what I'd like to do is have us switch our minds, our, our mindset over from managing a very luxurious estate with all kinds of amenities and all kinds of things to take care of 
to managing the household of God. Because in the Bible, the church is called the household of God. And the Bible talks about how to manage the household of God and who should manage the household of God. And we're going to be looking at just at five verses this morning. And you may think this is just for a particular person in the church. But as we look into this and we see what God wants from you know, his household to be managed and who he wants to manage it, it tells us a lot about the church and what the church is supposed to be and what it's supposed to be made of and how we are supposed to act in the church or be a part of the church. Not so much act in the church, but how we are supposed to be as part of the church. And so <clears throat> we can look at these verses and look at our church and see what we should be doing. So I'm going to be in the New Testament book of Titus, chapter 1, and verses 5 through 9, but I want to start with verse 5. And we're talking about the church, the household of God. So in verse 1, I'm sorry, verse 5 of chapter 1, this is the Apostle Paul, and he's talking to Titus, who went with him on ministry journeys. <clears throat> And at one point, they were, in the, they were on the island of Crete. But he says, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So Paul and Titus had traveled and ministered together in the area of modern Turkey, today modern Turkey. And after a time, they went to the island of Crete and they planted some churches, and you know, that's, that's skipping a lot of what they did. <clears throat> but you can see Greece, Crete is that island with that red marker, and over there is Turkey. And so they, most of the churches that you read about in the New Testament <clears throat> were in current-day Turkey. And then they, you know, they went over into Greece, and so at one point that got over into uh, the island of Crete, and Paul leaves Titus there, and he says, I left you there that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So <clears throat> they planted the churches in different towns, but they did not get to complete what they were trying to do because Paul had to move on. And so he left Titus there. I'm sure he would have liked to take him, taken him, but now he, he wants him to to get those churches organized. And they were in different towns. So it wasn't enough just to have a bunch of people come forward and accept Christ, was it? I mean, they just couldn't preach the gospel, have people come to accept Christ and then just leave. Even though accepting Christ does lead to eternal life. And even though accepting the message of salvation in Christ is truly life-changing. It's receiving forgiveness for your sins. But Paul says, we didn't get finished there, so I left you behind in order to get things organized. He left Titus behind to put in order what was unfinished. And that was to go into every town where they had, you know, people turning to Christ and appoint elders, church leaders. Now... <clears throat> 
The reason this is important for us, <clears throat> as it might seem a little distant from us, but it, it's important because we have elders in our church, and churches have elders and leaders, and the, the Bible talks about what the leaders should be like, and it talks about, it really uh, tells you what the church should be, and what people should be leading, and what people can aspire to. And if you vote for your elders, it's real important. But in the history of Israelite people, elders were the accepted or recognized leaders of clans and tribes. And they played an important role in governing the affairs of the Israelite nation. That's just how their system worked. And when God told Moses, way back in Moses' day, to tell the Israelites his plan on how he was going to free them from slavery and free them from, Egypt, from the Egyptian bondage he told him go to the elders and tell them my plan so there was already this system of elder rule or elder leadership and then he said and take those elders with you when you go talk to pharaoh so they had a pretty significant job and then in the new testament there was a council of elders that was an integral part of the sanhedrin or the jewish high court <clears throat> So there you have elders again leading. Elders were heads of leading families, and they helped with important decisions. And when difficult matters arose in the early church, you read in the book of Acts, and it says the apostles and the elders made those decisions. So it carried on into the, even the New Testament church. Elders were respected men, and they served as leaders, and they served as shepherds to the people. And so Paul told Titus, appoint elders for these new churches. And everywhere where we started a church, appoint men to help guide those churches. So the Apostle Paul tells Titus that's his job, and that's why he's leaving him there on the island of Crete. He isn't just leaving these Christians to do whatever, <clears throat> you know, just... Follow the Spirit. He wants them to be guided and helped by people who are, you know, more into the Christian faith, who have been Christians for a while, who know what it's all about. And he wants these churches to have recognized leaders. He wants these churches to be led and helped by individuals who are respected leaders, which that would be the elders. <clears throat> But what about leaders in the community, you know, as they're looking for leaders? What about leaders who aren't very spiritual? Should they be church elders? What about prominent men? Because, see, this happens also in America. You have prominent people who are very successful in their business, and they know how to lead, and they know how to make decisions. But are they just automatically uh, qualified to lead a church. What about men who are successful leaders but treat their workers badly? What about men who are successful leaders but they're somewhat self-centered? Well, look at <clears throat> verse 6. An elder must be blameless. Wow. Wow. Faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. 
When he, said, when he talks about blameless, he doesn't mean that uh, he never makes a mistake. He doesn't mean that his wife can't find any flaw in him. That would, this, that would just knock out everybody, right? What he means is, there is no charge, what the word blameless means, <clears throat> there is no outstanding charge against this person, serious charge. So that if somebody is chosen as an elder, and somebody hears it in the community that this guy's an elder in that church, they're thinking, him? Don't you know how he runs his business? Don't you know he's, you know, spent a lot of time in jail? So he's saying there shouldn't be anything in this person's life that will bring embarrassment on the church. It's kind of a reputation matter. It's, it's like the church is, you know, what the church will be like out in its community if this person is elected as an elder or put in as an elder. Someone known for something that will cause people to turn away from the church. So that's the qualification for an elder. And then, <clears throat> faithful to his wife. Um, that, there's been a lot of back and forth on faithful to his wife because actually the, the Greek says a one-woman man. And so people will say, well, some people even say, well, if he's a widow, widower, he can't be an elder because he's not a one, he doesn't have a wife. He's a one-woman man. <clears throat> and there was this church that had this pastor whose wife died. And this man was kind of known in, in certain circles as being this great scholar and a great pastor. And he, he taught and wrote books and taught at a seminary and everything. <clears throat> but his wife passed away. And in their denomination, you couldn't be a pastor if you didn't have a wife because it had to be a one-woman man. <clears throat> so they took him off the elder board but let him be the pastor. <laughs> There's always a way to get around it, isn't there? And I was going to say, I'll bet you a dollar to a donut. I don't know. That's what we, I always heard it said. <clears throat> that the elder board went to this pastor for advice, even though he was not an elder. <clears throat> well, what it really comes down to is, you want an elder to have a good relationship with his wife. You want an elder that isn't looking at other women. You want an elder that's faithful to his wife, to his marriage, to his family. That's what you want. And so, <clears throat> I think sometimes, you know, you get into these matters where you're, you're looking at who should be elder, who should you vote for, who it is we should promote or kind of bring up as an elder. That's a good, good standard, faithful to the wife. Faithful to the family. Leading in faithfulness. And so I think that's, that's really good for a church leader. A man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Now you know, children make mistakes. People make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. 
But if this child is just known for getting into all kinds of trouble, a lot of drunkenness, you know, violence, whatever, again, if it's out in the community and everybody knows it or everybody, uh, it, it makes a real difference in the community, then you don't want that man, the father of that child, to be an elder because it just brings a bad name upon the church. Again, this part goes back to the reputation, the reputation that's given to the community because of the people that lead the church. Now, you know, <clears throat> what I've noticed over these last years or decades, the way it seems to me, you know, because they're talking about the reputation of an elder and the, the, what it brings upon that church and the community, what I've noticed in these last decades <clears throat> is that the scandals against the churches, against Christianity in our society, have mostly been accusations against famous ministers who become popular or celebrities through you know, TV programs or uh, you know, broadcasts or you know, going around making a name for themselves. And then when one of them does something, that really brings a bad name upon Christianity. And a lot of times, it's people who have kind of reached celebrity status. There are pastors <clears throat> who have written books, and the books became so well sold, so popular, that they've never needed any more money from the church anymore. There's one pastor who wrote a book, and it, and it, was, it was a great book, but it brought him so much money, it just took him into a whole other level of living, and he never took any more money from the church. And so, when you get people like that, and then they start writing books, and they start doing seminars, and they start, you know, traveling, and people come to their churches for, you know, conferences and that sort of thing, and they kind of reach celebrity status, they're known for being wealthy and successful, and they've gained a huge following, and they've become very skilled at attracting crowds and, and getting people going. And it seems like the ones that we've heard of that have fallen over the years have brought the greatest disgrace upon the churches. And they've been the ones who've been caught in the trap of, you know, reaching stardom and power and influence. That's the way it seems to me that it affects our society. Because <clears throat> when somebody becomes popular and famous and known and on the TV cameras and... and wealthy, that's when everybody's eyes are upon them. And some of them have, have fallen. I was, I was just looking at a list, and some of them I had even forgotten, but they were in the news big time years ago because of falling. They were taking great big stands on certain issues, and then they, they were caught in the scandal, in that very issue that they were preaching on all the time. And it seems like that... <clears throat> It was one step at a time for some of them. And in the beginning, they may have had great intentions and a sincere desire to serve God. But the success trap overtook them and overtook their sensibilities. And they veered off track into the dark areas like one step at a time. 
And for some it was a secret uh, area of their life and immorality. And they engineered, it was step by step, but they engineered a pathway of deception and secrecy. And so as Christians, we really can't let our guard, we can't start letting our guard down, can we? We must always be accountable. Especially leaders in a church, we must always be accountable. We must always be checking on our humility factor. We must always guard against promoting ourselves. I think what happens in our society <clears throat> is that people become well-known and then people start following after them because we're just kind of a celebrity-worshipping society. And when that happens, you know, people just give them whatever they want and let them do whatever they want. And they go on and then they fall into these great big traps. And I think what a lot of it is when we, we start becoming well-known, you start having people prop you up, and then it just takes off from there. And so we're really, I think a lot of times, ministers are trying to fulfill the American dream. You just get caught into that pathway instead of trying to, you know, just humbly serve the Lord. And I think it's just a hard thing to avoid especially ministers who are very talented and can just take a church and put it in the palm of their hands and take it wherever they want, I think they're the ones that have the, the most danger of falling into a trap where they really start promoting themselves and then they, they believe the press. Some church leaders become more and more skilled and become more and more effective and more and more well-liked and more popular and then gain a following and then guess who's waiting in the wings? Satan is waiting in the wings to trip that person up. And then it all falls apart. <clears throat> um, there was this pastor that his church really loved him and he started doing these orphanages. And then he started traveling to these orphanages, and it became a big part of his ministry. And he was doing a great job, and the people back home, they loved his sermons, and they, they loved him, and he had a nice family. And then he started traveling with this lady, this married lady, and they were really working together on these orphanages. And then they fell. And, you know, look, it, it just, it hurt the church immeasurably. And it hurt that family, that lady's family and his family. So, <clears throat> I just think that we always have to keep our guard up. We always have to resist, in our culture, resist trying to promote ourselves. I think we always have to know that it's, it's all about the Lord and it's not about how much people like us, how many votes come in for us. It's, not, it's not, none of that. But what about the elder himself and his own behavior, his own character, his own habits and attitudes? 
What does Paul say about that? He says, since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless. <clears throat> now, we already said he must be blameless. That means no charge against him. No serious charge against him. But here he's talking about as the manager of God's household, he must be blameless. They can't bring some serious charge against him from the way that he is leading the church. Not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. <clears throat> overbearing, stubborn, arrogant, self-willed, not quick-tempered, a hothead, flying off at the handle, always thinking everybody should agree with him, not given to drunkenness. That kind of explains itself, doesn't it? Not violent, not a bully type, not ready to fight, not attacking people either verbally or whatever, not pursuing dishonest gain, and that would include a, a you know, an attitude towards greediness or dishonesty, willingness to cheat someone in their business. These bad character traits will disqualify someone from being an elder. And they may be able to hold down a job, they may be able to be very talented, make a good living, but they can't be a church elder if they don't have those morals. And here's what Paul says he should be. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. <clears throat> An elder should be one who's welcoming, welcoming people into their home, ready to take someone in in a time of need. One who loves what is good. And I want to show you Psalm 15 here. It says, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? Like, which kind of person can be close to you, Lord, and just live in your presence? The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor and casts no slur on others, who despises a vile person but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind, who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept a bribe against the innocent. Whoever does these things will never be shaken. <clears throat> That's the person who loves what is good. And you know, <clears throat> that's what I noticed when I became a Christian. All of a sudden, the things that you kind of made fun of before 
you start loving because those are good things. And the things, I remember this, this guy before I was a Christian, and he was in, in the same college, on the same team, and he was just real respectful, real honest, and we all kind of looked at him like he was kind of weird. And I always thought, you know, he's a good guy. Um, I really don't want to be like him, but I want my children to be like him. <laughs> and then when I became a Christian, I understood why he lived that way and why it was a good thing. And I understood what loving good was. He talks about being self-controlled. That's being able to control our passions. You know, today in our society, they say it's good just to do whatever you feel because you're just being true to yourself. And today, a big, <clears throat> a big thing is to be true to yourself. And if you don't do what you want to do, then you're not being true. You're being hypocritical. But that's not what the Bible says, is it? The Bible says to be self-controlled and upright, which is integrity. It's doing the right thing whether anybody's watching or not. And to be holy, <clears throat> that's devout. It's, it's a life that's honoring to God. It's, being, it's moving away from sinful things. It's not being around things that could trap you. It's being holy and walking in the steps with God. He says being disciplined. That's when you can stick with something. And you can set a schedule and you can keep it. And you can set goals and finish them. Being disciplined. That's what Paul says an elder should be. One that people could look up to. One that's kind. One that's helpful. One that invites people in. And then in verse 9... He says, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, as he has received it himself, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. <clears throat> the elder of a church must be sold out to the word of God. He can't be wishy-washy on his commitment to the word. And we've seen people in the recent, I mean, this is going on today, and we hear more and more of it, where people have started these churches, and they've gathered a great big following, and even, you know, beyond their church, and now they don't believe the Bible anymore. And they, they're just kind of reinterpreting everything. And they're taking it, and they're kind of like Americanizing it, or enculturating it. But the, the elder has to be totally sold on the scriptures. And you know, there are things in there that we won't be able to explain completely. A lot of it's because it's written in different ages of history, different times that we don't know all the background. <clears throat> but there's enough in there, plenty enough in there, to know that the few things we can't explain, we can trust them. We can trust them because this is God's word. It is all through the ages, there have been rulers 
and, and evil people that have tried to destroy God's word, get rid of God's word out of different places, and it just keeps going on. And it just keeps growing. It's the number one selling book in all the world for all times. And the way that it's been preserved is amazing. No book, no writings have been preserved like the Bible. No, no work has been copied like the Bible. and has been reproduced like the Bible. Nothing even comes close. And that is just the, the providence of God. And God passing it down to us because he wants us to have it. Paul says the elder needs to be able to use the word to encourage others by using it rightly, by using it legitimately. So the elder needs to be able to have a good understanding of the scriptures so he can use that word to help others. He has to be willing to embrace the word of God <clears throat> even when others oppose it. Even when people bring charges against it. Even when people try to tell you all these reasons why it's bad, he has to just be tethered to the word and embrace it fully. Not that he has to answer every question that everybody has, but he has to have a, a firm grasp on the essence of the word of God. And an elder can't be double-minded on believing this but not believing that. Or I'm convinced some of the time in the Bible, but other times I'm not. He has to be on the side of the scriptures. And having an interest in learning more of the scriptures. So that is an elder of the church of Jesus Christ, according to the Apostle Paul. <clears throat> it is a high calling. Not that an elder becomes somebody famous or special or, or anything like that, but it's just being faithful to what is true. And it's a high calling because we're serving a high God. It's a calling to step forward and stand in the gap, to embrace and defend God's word against all foes, to not be the cause of others outside the church mocking Christians. I mean, some will no matter what, but we don't want to give them the weapons to do it. To not be the reason for others turning away from the church. An elder has to be somewhat selfless and not use the word to promote ourselves. Not be, <clears throat> not be an elder to be used as a pathway to popularity or a preacher of the word in order to gain wealth or control or, or use it with hard-heartedness. It's not a part of the American success story. It's a servant's role. And it's a lifestyle of helping and teaching and devotion to God and a lifestyle of humility and self-control and loving the scriptures. And not that we never stumble in any way. And, you know, there's always mistakes made, stumbling. 
And we will never be perfect in the sense of being flawless. But we can stay on the pathway and keep our eyes on Christ. And correct things that are wrong. And be humble. And be caring for others. The thing is, we want to get, we want to help people stay with the word, stay with Christ, and keep moving down that road. We want that to be our passion. And we can all do that. But we want leaders in the church who that's what, that's what they're there for. And then one day we may be known as a faithful manager of God's household. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and how much instruction it gives us in so many different areas. And Lord, we pray now in this area that you would give us great understanding as to, you know, what it takes to be a leader in the church, what it takes to encourage a leader in the church, what character traits are required And Lord, I pray that many will aspire to this office and many will make that as a goal. But Lord, that we would all come through humility, we would all come through truthfulness and devotion to your word. And we thank you that you have kept your word, preserved it for us, and given us so much through it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.